please turn with me to your study outline. And uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. And please uh, forgive me, I'm going to take a few more minutes before we get into our study, because I just want to set the stage for the next uh, month or next three months. You know, as a church, we try to be as strategic as possible. We don't just want to go through the motions of church. We want to always have a purpose for what we are doing. That's why we have that nickname, Purpose Church, because we want to fulfill God's strategy in this place to fulfill his purpose for our church. And the first few months of 2014 were absolutely amazing in so many ways. And we've got just as exciting one coming up the next three months. But I just want to thank you because you may not realize with all the ministry that goes on here, the influence you have on other churches in the area as well. When I think of you, I think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Let me just give you just a few examples from just the past month, just this past month. Uh, Ron Hernandez from our church family shared a copy of the story with a pastor of a church in Los Angeles, and now his entire church is doing the story along with us in the same way that we are as well, and that's simply because of his influence on that particular pastor. Let me give you a second example. I'm hearing stories from all over the place, people reporting to me their friends that go to Water of Life uh, which is a dynamic church in the Inland Empire, just a tremendous church, Pastor Danny Carroll. And as they're doing a similar campaign to our Momentum campaign, the way he's challenging the people is he's challenging them to be a legacy church in the Inland Empire in the same way Pomona First Baptist has been a legacy church in the Inland Valley. And he's using our church's illustrations for the last few weeks. Matter of fact, he came here and visited our heritage room and took pictures in there and everything, shared them with his church. And he's challenging his church to be in the future what our church has been in the past and in the present. Uh, a third example, just out of the blue, I get this letter a, a few days ago. And it was from the church moderator, Karen Pyron, of the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho. Have you, any of you ever heard of Arco, Idaho? I had not either until I got this letter. Dear Pastor Glenn, for the past year and a half, the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, has had the pleasure of using your sermon archives during our worship services. We're using them each Sunday by downloading them and then projecting the sermon during worship. We then do our own worship service around the video. The messages in the presentation have been very well received and enjoyed by those who view them. We were introduced to you through Mike Popovich, pastor of Cocatello's First Baptist Church. Because of our current situation, your video outreach of ministry has been church-saving for us. We've been without a pastor for nearly two years due to limited financial resources. However, our small congregation has a strong spirit and a fruitful outward ministry. This has become our oikos, and as a result, we are able to extend our ministry beyond Sunday mornings. Thanks to your outreach, we were able to sustain on Sunday mornings, which has been the core of our being. Please accept this check as a small gift of our appreciation as we continue to use your gift of media ministry. As we hear you talk of the hangar in Montana, we'd invite you to take a detour through ARCO should you visit Montana in the future. ARCO is located on Highway 93, about 285 miles southeast of Missoula. 
we'd love to have you and enjoy your personal touch of ministry in our church. Now, I'm telling you, this 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 is a taste of heaven when you don't even know the influence that you're having. Just like Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, you, your ministry is using an example. It's becoming an impact elsewhere, sometimes in ways that you're not even uh, aware of. Uh, one final example. Last uh, in the paper this past week, we'll put that up there. Uh, this is uh, headlines, hundreds gather at Pomona First Baptist Church to pray for the city. And last Sunday night, churches from all across Pomona filling the whole downstairs here. And there's one point in which this whole downstairs were people on their knees, people from across the churches in the city, the mayor of Pomona, the, the chief of police for Pomona, all on their knees, praying to God, asking him to stop the violence in our city. And, and at one point, one speaker said, would all of you who used to be in gangs but are no longer in gangs but are now following Jesus, would you please stand up? And by my estimate, about 100 young men and women stood to their feet that had previously been in the gang life and had changed their hearts for Jesus. So, so this, this is what it's all about. This is the purpose for which we have been called for such a time as this. Now, you can't rest on your laurels. That's heaven. We sit around and tell war stories in heaven. Here, we just reload and re-strategize for the next three months. That's what the previous three months have held. Now, the next week. And they start with a bang with our Easter outreach. And so the next 14 days are just so strategic. The next 14 days are strategic days to connect our friends with Jesus. You've got next Sunday with Palm Sunday, and we'll share the Lord's Supper and the three morning services and five o'clock in Claremont at Purpose Church. And then Monday, Thursday service, which will be on the Claremont campus. And then Good Friday, which will be on this campus. And then Easter Sunday, eight in the morning, we'll have the indoor service right here. Then the two at Fairplex at nine and 11. And we finish up in Montana at the hangar at uh, five o'clock on Easter day on mountain time. And so this is what it's all about. People connecting people. I, I want to show you this one clip just before we dive into our study. And you know, I always say, this is my favorite. This time I really mean it. This is my, I love this clip. Uh, I get tears in my eyes the 40, 50 times I've seen it. I've, I've shown it before. I'm going to show it today. I will show it in the future. I'm just telling you. Because to me, it is a, a picture of how the body of Christ has grown for the last 2,000 years. It is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We love evangelistic outdoors services. We love the fairplex and, and that kind of thing. That's not the primary way the body of Christ has grown through the years. Uh, we love, you know, radio and TV and internet outreach, but the primary way is friend to friend. That's the primary way. This is a revolution 2,000 years in the making. Uh, this is the, the followers of Christ is the biggest movement in the history of the world, fastest growing in the past, fastest growing in the present. It is the most pervasive through almost every ethnic group, language around the world, the biggest, fastest growing, most pervasive. This is the movement we're a part of, and this is the primary way that it's grown. Well, now we continue the story. Title of today's study is A Kingdom Divided. When we left Solomon last week, We saw that his vertical heart towards God was divided between God and the gods of the many women that he married, the wives that he had. And so that eventually spilled over into a division of his horizontal relationship with other people. Solomon's heart is divided there in the setting in 1 Kings chapter 12. 
And he's ruling unwisely by overtaxing the people and forcing them into hard labor. Let me just pause for a moment because there's a good leadership principle here. At the beginning of his reign, I'm sure the people worked enthusiastically because it was we are doing something great for God. We're building the temple. We're expanding uh, God's kingdom. We are doing this. But over time, as Solomon's heart grew cold because it was divided towards the things of God, eventually we became me. And he began to do great things on the backs of others through overtaxing the people and forcing them into hard labor. And it's a good challenge for us. If you're involved in business, the purpose of business is to make a profit. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But to make sure that we make a profit rather than me make a profit and building that profit on the backs of others. If we're a nonprofit, like a church or a school or other nonprofits, we want to do great things. We want to do things together to change our world for Christ. And yet, we need to make sure that it is we are doing it and not me is doing it out of ego and doing great things on the backs of others. Well, Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam takes over the throne. And there's a saying in military aviation that goes like this. The accident has occurred already. We're just waiting for the plane to arrive at the crash site. That is, the accident happened way before the crash, where it was a bad pilot decision or maybe a mechanical failure that didn't get dealt with or got overlooked, and eventually the crash is the result of that. And so we would say with regard to Solomon that the accident occurred already during Solomon's reign, but now his son Rehoboam is about to arrive at the crash site. Here's the characters. Rehoboam's Solomon's son, who is from the tribe of Judah, the main tribe in the south, of uh, Solomon's kingdom. And Jeroboam, who's from the tribe of Ephraim, which is the main tribe in the northern part of Solomon's kingdom. In the previous chapter, chapter 11 of 1 Kings, a prophet tells Jeroboam that he will become king, but he must wait. Now, Jeroboam was Solomon's labor official. And he was in charge of labor for Solomon. And he is told that he's gonna become king because Solomon's heart is not wholeheartedly towards God, and he's gotten involved in apostasy, but he's got to be patient. Well, Jeroboam refuses to wait, and he rebels against Solomon. Uh, He tries to take over too soon, and so uh, Solomon stops the plot, and he has to flee to Egypt. Now, there's a theme that's been running through the story, and I know I talk about this a lot, but it's because we deal with it in the Christian life so much. Almost every week, we have a decision in front of us Are we going to grab a hold of something we want now and do it our way and take a shortcut? Or are we going to wait for that good thing according to God's timetable and then have it happen in our lives according to God's plan and his timing? And the thing is, when we run ahead of God, we get that good thing prematurely and it comes with trouble on top of it. Whereas if we wait for God's timing for that good thing, then when it does come, it comes with God's blessing on it. And if we say, I want to be married, but instead of waiting for God's person, if we're called to be married, many are called to be single, but if we're called to be married, waiting for God's person, then it comes with blessing rather than trouble if we run ahead of God and take matters into our own hands. Or maybe there's a house that we want to own. And, and, and we need to wait for God's timing for that rather than getting too big and too expensive of a house too soon in our lives. And then it comes with trouble in the form of excessive debt 
And so running ahead of God gets us that thing, but with trouble. Waiting for God, we get that thing, but it comes with God's blessing on top of it. We saw this with Joseph uh, in the story where Potiphar's wife said, let's have sex now. And he says, no, I'm gonna wait for God's timing. And so God blessed him in the end. Uh, Moses said, I will take over and lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt now. And he takes matters in his own hands, kills the Egyptian. God sends him in the wilderness for 40 years to learn the lesson to wait for God's timetable. We saw how beautifully Ruth waited for God's timetable for her kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Uh, We saw where Saul was unwilling to wait for Samuel to come. And he got what he wanted, victory in the battle, but it came with trouble on top of it. David, on the other hand, was willing to wait until it was God's timetable for him to be king. But then he forgot that lesson later on when Pastor Brian preached that beautiful message on David and Bathsheba, and he wanted her now. And so he got her, but it came with trouble on top of it. And now Jeroboam is unwilling to wait. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I love that. God wants to be gracious. He wants good things for us more than we want them for ourselves. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who do what? You tell me the word. Wait for him. Let's read just that last phrase out loud together. Blessed are all who wait for him. Now, here's the point of view. We always talk about the upper story, God's perspective, the lower story, our perspective. The upper story, point of view, shows us God's perspective, and he goes about fulfilling his purpose. And and you say, how can God fulfill his purpose through a civil war and a divided kingdom? Well, he does it by having his remnant in the tribe of Judah carry on his purpose for eventually Jesus to come through that tribe. And so, in a sense, he almost uses uh, the remnant in the tribe of Judah, almost like a lifeboat to continue the line of Jesus until Jesus will come about 930 years later. Um, it kind of reminds me of kind of an illustration, and it kind of works for me. We'll see if it's too esoteric. But remember Apollo 13, and they had the explosion when they stirred the oxygen tanks in the main part there where the astronauts are, uh, what was called the Command Service Module Odyssey. And so what do they do? They moved into the lunar module, Aquarius, and they used that as a lifeboat to get back to Earth to survive. And then they went back into Odyssey and took that to land back on Earth once again, and it saved their lives. And that's similar to what God is doing here. He's using the tribe of Judah. He's he's disconnecting that from the northern tribe. And many of the godly people in the northern tribes uh, fled down to Judah. And there was this remnant of people that would occasionally, at least, they had good days and bad days, follow after God. But the line of Jesus continued in the southern tribe of Judah. The lower story point of view gives us the daily details of everyday life And in this lower story, we see the life of Rehoboam unfold. Next page of our study outline. We read of Rehoboam's unwise decision to ignore the counsel of his advisors. And the plot is recorded here in 1 Kings chapter 12. Remember, Samuel gave a warning about what trouble kings would get you into. And now three generations later, you you see the full-blown how bad it is to have a king. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, 
Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, depending on your point of view, uh, what works best for you, this was either the first union leader uh, in in, uh, history, the first Cesar Chavez, or he was the first leader of the Tea Party. You take your pick as to which he was. He says, the taxes are too high. Got to get rid of that tax load. Uh, Government is too pervasive. Or uh, labor relations are unfair. And we take our plea to management to lighten our load and the heavy yoke that you've put on us. And if you do that, we'll not do a work stoppage and we'll keep working. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. And these men, I, I'm almost sure, they saw what was coming. And Solomon used to listen to him when he was humble in the early part of his reign. But he had stopped listening to him later in his life. And they were probably thrilled when his son finally comes to them advice and says, how would you advise me to answer these people? They, were, they, they probably, finally, somebody will listen to us and we can avoid this disaster. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. This is like from a contemporary business book. I'm telling you, servant leadership is the rage now, but it's been in scriptures for thousands of years. You serve them and they will serve you. You say, how can we do this rather than me do this? And and together, Uh, We will serve God and do great things. They'll always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? I call this the Paris Hilton Advisory Committee is what I refer to this as. Um, it was funny, I asked Pete Wilson, our media guy, he said, can you give me a modest picture of Paris Hilton that'll work in church? And so he gave me a headshot. That's all uh, he could find there. Now, these men were not all that young. Uh, they were, Rehoboam was 41 years old at this time. So these are guys in their late 30s and in their early 40s. But these are narcissists. These are uh, people that feel a sense of entitlement. These are young men that kind of thought that the world owed them, that the people were there to serve them rather than them there to serve the people. That was their orientation, young or old. That's not the main point here. The point is, is that they were unwise in thinking they existed for the people to serve them. The people existed for them rather than them being in their leadership spots in order to serve the people. The young man who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. That is whips with little pieces of metal put in the leather. This is probably the worst political advice in the last 3,000 years. This is terrible advice. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, 
My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. This is like the worst political speech ever. Yeah, this, this is terrible. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite, back in the previous chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 11. God was going to use this event to continue his remnant in the tribe of Judah. Now, before we begin to close things down, let me, let me talk uh, for kind of an aside here, a sidebar. We had a good biblical principle there to wait on the Lord. Here's another good one. And it's this question. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Um, these young men, uh, and here again, I've known young people that are wise and foolish and older people that are young, that are wise and those that are foolish. But these, these young men, they were yes men. They were yes friends. You see, so many times we just go to the people that tell us what we want to hear. You see this when people are running into marriage trouble. They'll run to the friend at work that says, you don't have to take that from him or her. Man, I'd get out of there. That, that's ridiculous. You don't, you don't have to take that. And they'll avoid like a plague the friends that will say, you know what? I know it's hard, but let's work on your marriage. Let's get into the marriage ministry at church. Let's go to the marriage class. Let's get a mentor in our marriage mentoring program. Let's get Christian counseling. Let, you know, and, and, and well, who do we go to? Do we go to people that tell us what we need to hear or do we run to the people that tell us what we want to hear? Or they represent the culture around us. We just look at the culture that'll tell us most people are doing it so it must be okay. Or instead, do we turn to who Solomon's wise advisors represent the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do we turn to the forces around us that give us the easy way out and tell us what we want to hear? Or do we turn to the godly counsel that will bring life and blessing even though initially it might be hard? Um, do we come to God's word and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Show me in your word what I need to do. Even if it's hard, I know that it's honest and it's true and it's right because I need you and the answers are in your word. The resolution is found in verse 16 and following. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Now this is also the true tribe of Benjamin. They're kind of like the little brother that only gets mentioned half the time. Jerusalem was right on the border of uh, Judah to the south and Benjamin to the north. It was right on the border between the two. And as Judah went, so went uh, Benjamin. And so it says that they will continue as well under Rehoboam. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who is in charge of forced labor. Now we've seen the most clueless political advice. We've seen the most clueless political speech. Now we see the most clueless political action. He says, I know who will smooth things out. Let's send Adoniram, the guy in charge of forced labor. 
they'll love him, but all Israel stoned him to death. You know, I'm not a political expert, but if you send your press secretary out and they get stoned to death, your approval rating's probably under 50%. I'm just, I'm just saying. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Finally, little brother gets mentioned when it's time to go to war and they need his soldiers. 180,000 able young men to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. And so here's this little glimmer of hope in the tribe of Judah in the aftermath of this sad story. Now this will help you understand the Old Testament better. Let's put the map up there as to what happened. Judah there in the south, Israel there in the north. There are two things that will help you navigate the, the Old Testament. One we talked about last Sunday where it's pretty clear what's going on chronologically. The Bible is not organized chronologically, but topically. And that's what gets confusing, particularly in the Old Testament. So Genesis through Esther, it's roughly chronological. So you can follow it roughly in in that way. But then the first half is is historical. The third quarter is poetic, the poetic books, the five poetic books. uh, And they happen concurrent or as part of the historical books in the first half. Then the last quarter is the prophetic books, and they also happen concurrently during the historical books. So think the first half is roughly chronological. The third quarter is poetry that happened during the historical. The fourth quarter is prophetic that happened during the historical. So that'll help. The second thing that'll help you is this map right here. Because from the middle of 1 Kings on, the writers are going to bounce between what's going on in Israel and what's happening in Judah. And that can get confusing, but the southern part is called Judah, the northern part Israel, and so the author is going to talk about what happens in Israel, then Judah, and kind of bounce uh, between the two. Now, um, it's very sad what happens to Jeroboam. He gets the kingship because of the divided heart of Solomon, and yet he goes and does exactly the same thing. He sets up golden calves, uh, one in the northern part, the far north in Dan, and then another in the southern part in Bethel. Uh, Archaeologists still today have found steps to these altars. I think this is one uh, uh, to the altar of Jeroboam. I think this is the one in Dan in the northern part. You can still see those today. And so the resolution is the nation is divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is made up of 10 tribes. It is called Israel, and it's ruled by Jeroboam. It lasts for 208 years. It has 19 kings during that time, all of them bad with the possible mixed result from the king Jehu. They had nine prophets. Uh, Israel rejected all of them. Only one had his message received. That was Jonah, and it was received by the Ninevites, the Iraqis, rather than from the nation of Israel. Uh, Eventually, they're conquered by the Assyrians, what is today the nation of Iraq in 722 B.C. 
they become what's called the lost tribes of Israel. Then the southern kingdom is two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. It's ruled by Rehoboam. It lasts for 344 years. It has 20 kings, six of them good, 14 of them bad. Eventually, they're conquered by the Babylonians, what is today the Iraqis, in 586 B.C. Now the closing themes. Let's do the lower one first so we can end on the upper story. The lower story theme seen in Rehoboam is the ripple effects of our decisions when we listen to the wrong people or when we don't wait for God's timing. And then the upper story theme is God has a plan to get us back and God keeps his promises to Abraham, Moses, and David. It says that one will come from the tribe of Judah. We call him the Lion of Judah. And for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about him. And his name is Jesus. We're going to talk about him at Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about him on Monday, Thursday. We're going to talk about him on Good Friday. And we're going to talk about him on Easter Sunday. Let's stand for our closing benediction. If you're interested, as uh, Brian was mentioning earlier about baptism, uh, just a reminder that Wednesday night I'll be holding a class over in the administration building at 7 o'clock, and I would just love to share what the Bible teaches about baptism and any questions you might have about that. I'd love to have you come to that class, and uh, you'll see more details there on page 6, or it's up there behind me. Uh, Or if you're not able to make that class, simply write the word baptism on a Connect card, put it in one of the offering boxes as you leave, and and we'll get in, in touch with you if you're interested in being baptized on Easter. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.